Well, um, if those of you, if you're, you're new or you've not had a chance um, to be here when maybe I was maybe in Pulpit Supply, my name is Jeff Lee, and I'm the RUF campus pastor at Christopher Newport. And my job is to be a missionary and a pastor and care for college students at Christopher Newport. I love on faculty, staff, my personal staff in RUF, and honestly, a lot and lot of our students. And as just a brief report, I can tell you our ministry, um, by God's grace, by his kindness, we were able to minister effectively and efficiently this entire past year in COVID. I was just telling Barry when I came in that actually coming into May, I was incredibly tired because we never skipped a beat. We had Wednesdays, worship services. We had small groups, one-on-ones, albeit masked and social distance, but we did not skip a beat at all the entire time. And actually ministry was able to grow in a lot of kind of beautiful ways um, because we, the Lord just provided, honestly. He really did. And so things are going well. And um, the biggest prayer right now for RUF and for our student college ministry is pray for me and my staff that we would uh, plan well this year and that we would rest well this summer as we have a whole lot of activities to plan for in the fall because we're anticipating a probably a more normal fall, whatever that might look like, but a more normal fall. So pray the Lord would be kind to us in thinking about all the normal means of ministry, right? Going back to outreach to freshmen, transfer students, and caring for all of our wonderful student leaders and uh, faculty staff. So pray for us in our thoughtfulness this summer as well. Well, as we said, we're going to be in the book of James, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And the title of this sermon is The Destructive Nature of Favoritism, all right? And it's a little bit okay for you because it's Father's Day. It should show a little bit of favoritism to dads, right? That's an okay thing. So we're going to dismiss that and put that to the side because fathers, you have worked hard. You have labored and you ought to be celebrated. And I'm grateful for all of you fathers here. And let me tell you, um, the Lord is certainly pleased with you fathers and also celebrates you. But as our Heavenly Father gives us His Word, we are going to both be encouraged and challenged this morning to think about the subtle sins of partiality, of favoritism, and the destructive nature that actually it can cause. Not just in families, but in workplaces and anywhere that we might find ourselves. But one thing you will be reminded of is that God's mercy triumphs our judgment and our judgmentalism. That's the good news. And the good news is, is even though we are judgmental people, we are, we get mercy, we get grace. And what we're going to be reminded is just as we are people who receive unconditional, unmerited grace and mercy from God, we are to be a people who distribute that to our neighbors whoever we come in contact with, that we might value them, love them, show them the proper deference and honor they deserve. Because are they made, everybody else, in the image of God? They are. So we ought to show them the proper due respect. So that's where we're going to be going. We're going to be looking at this passage. We're going to see in verses 1 through 7, a direct command, do not show favoritism. We're going to see also in verses 8 through 13 that even small sins have big consequences, really big ones. And lastly, we're going to see that Jesus' mercy triumphs our judgment, and that's good news. 
It's good news for us. It's good news in us trying to distribute love, equity, care towards others. So let's pray, and then let's just dive into our passage. So do that. Pray with me, and then let's dive in. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have chosen us. Lord, we are a weak people. We are a sinful people. Lord, our, height, our hearts are idol factories. Lord, constantly creating, making, and churning out new idols, new things to worship. Lord, more than you. Lord, we are a people who forget you often in our lives, Lord, because they're busy. And Lord, we forget to pray. We forget to read. We forget to show, Lord, you the honor and care and respect you deserve. Oh, Lord, we also forget that with, Lord, our brothers and sisters. We forget that they are made in your image and that they have inherent value and that we ought to honor them no matter what they wear, no matter their status in life, but they have value. And Lord, we reflect love of you when we love your people. Lord, I pray that we would be a people where our faith would be moved into action. And Lord, our belief would fuel our, our, our works the things that we do, how we conduct ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would not only be challenged, but we would be encouraged by your grace and your mercy. And that, Lord, would inform, Lord, how we struggle and try to strive to move forward, showing other people kindness, the proper deference, Lord, the love and honor that they are due. And that, Lord, we would not show, Lord, partiality. Help us to love others well, and Lord, we pray that we, Lord, you would show up and, and give us the help that we need. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your grace and your kindness to us. We pray this in your holy and precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's open them and let's look at James chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. Or in the back of your bulletins, the text is provided for you. And so let us read what it says. Verse 1 says, My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, Well, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves? and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you who have dishonored the poor man, are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? End of quote. And what we're going to do is take chunk by chunk as we go through the sermon and passage. And what we get really in these first seven verses is a negative command. We are told that face value do not show favoritism because of what people have or what people wear or their status in life. Be thoughtful showing favoritism because you value some person more valuable or something about them more valuable than another is evil. You saying somebody's more 
worthy of your time and energy and this other person is lesser, right, and their personal value, they're not as worthwhile of your time and energy, that is evil. And we are being told this. We are given an illustration of this in these seven verses. And we're even given some argumentation by James in his sermonic letter of why this is a contradiction of God's character, that we are not to show this kind of surface-level favoritism and to be these types of judgmental Christians, right? So we're going to take a little closer look at this. What's the command? The command comes for us. It's an imperative in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, show no partiality. Is there any leeway in that? As you like, you should probably not do it. Think and consider. Maybe don't do it next time. He says, do not do it. Right? You who are people proclaiming Christ, who know Christ, who have the Holy Spirit inside you, treat other people with equity. Show them value and honor, thoughtfulness and care. Do not show partiality. Do not make unnecessary distinctions based on externals about people, how they pre present themselves, what you think. James is speaking to the Jewish Christians, right, who had to also flee themselves because the nation state that was in power was showing partiality and favoritism towards both the Jews and emperor worship. And so what James and the Lord is saying to his people is do not do the things to other people that your nation is doing to you. You are not, even though you're on the other side and you're being mistreated, you are not to mistreat other people in this way. You are to be different, to live differently, to act differently. Now, and even in the subtle sins, right, the more maybe socially acceptable sins like this partiality, this issue, he says, even this is unacceptable in my people. Even the subtle things are not okay. There should not be a hint of discrimination, of surface level distinctions you're making between those who have and those who have not. That is not appropriate in the kingdom of God, in the house of worship, in your workplace, in your schools, and even in your household. What does the Bible say in the Old Testament? 1 Samuel 16, 7, as the Lord said to the prophet Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see a man as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Lord is concerned about the condition of the person's heart, not the condition of their clothes. Hear that and heed that. That ought to be something that ought to sink deep into your hearts, into your lives. What's going on when the prophet Samuel is wrestling with this of judging a person on their heart and not on what they look like and their appearance? Well, Samuel is in the middle of, of anointing a successor, right? Who's going to lead the nation of Israel after King Saul? King Saul was a mighty, handsome, big, strong man, right? Regal in his appearance and stature. Easy to see, oh yeah, this guy's going to have power. He's going to look good. He's going to wield power. It's going to look well on him. And he fits the bill for what we think is a powerful, popular person who's going to reign and rule, right? 
But Samuel is now looking at the sons of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of all of his sons, is parading out before Samuel all of his wonderful, strong, handsome-looking sons. And Jesse presents his first son named Eliab, and he's built probably like Dwayne Johnson or The Rock, who's a big, strong, good-looking guy. And surely, this is the Lord's anointed, right? Who's standing before you, clearly, right? But the Lord says, nope, not him, and not the other ones who are also great or magnificent in their stature or their height, because they are rejected for this role and this status. And then what happens? What does Samuel do? He says, do you not have any other sons? Because the Lord says to Samuel, these aren't, these aren't my people right here. The one that is going to be king, who's going to reign and rule, may not be as handsome, may not be as tall, may not be as physically imposing as these sons. And so Samuel, is there another one? And Samuel says, Jesse, don't you have any other sons? And he responds, Jesse says, yes, my youngest son, David, is out tending the sheep. So even Jesse, knowing that the prophet was coming to anoint, right, a successor, a king, didn't even include his youngest son because even the father didn't think his youngest son would be worthy of this office showing partiality, right, and favoritism and didn't even bring him out. And what does the Lord do? The runt. He's going to be king. All right? So we're even seeing this in time after time. What does God choose to use? The lowly, the disenfranchised, those who are poor in spirit, the downcasts. In our weakness, the Lord shows himself to be strong because what is this life about? Is it about your glory, your bank account, your status? Hate to say it, but you're in the wrong religion if you think that's what Christianity is about. It's not. It's about God and his glory. So the Lord chooses the weak, the small things right, to display his grand power, his favor, his amazing abilities, because we can more clearly see God right through weakness rather than just brute, honest, right, the strength that we would think, right? So the Lord shows himself constantly. We even have an illustration of this. James says, if a man wears a gold ring and fine clothing and he comes into your assembly, right, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and you say, you sit here in the good place while you say to the poor man, you just stand over there. Or here's even a spot down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, before I tell you what James is saying here, let me first make a note on what James is not saying. He is not saying, James, that we are never to make any distinctions of deference, right? Because there are folks, the elderly, right? The handicapped, or those who might have maybe even a public office, or in our right area, those who in the armed forces, where it's right to show honor, deference, and respect to them. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But we need to be careful when we make superficial distinctions, and certainly, clearly, we do this as human nature, based off people's appearance, how they speak, how they talk, what they wear, how they present themselves for the first time. Are their shoulders slumped or are their shoulders back? Do they present themselves as a person of means and privilege or do they present themselves as insecure? He's saying do not make superficial distinctions 
Because a lot of times what's underneath that, self-centered motives. Maybe thoughts of transactional love, right? You show, pro you show improper deference because you think maybe I can get something or it might help me in some shape or form or some way. So we're not to do that. But yes, saving seats for a friend, that's okay to do. For those who would be elderly, who would be older than you, who would be esteemed, that can be okay to do, right? This is a proper honor that is right. But we're talking about superficial judgments that is not okay for us, that we all know that we do. And certainly we do this on the TV when we watch TV shows, right? Making judgments on people. So this is not just for James' first century audience that obviously he's addressing because clearly this must have been a problem in his church and maybe also in the culture at large. But certainly that happens today as well. Now maybe you and I are not saying to people who walk in these doors, all right, you people who we know and like who come regularly to Redeemer, you guys can sit up front, but all the other people, less people, you guys can sit on the sides or the back. That's not what you guys are saying. That's not what's happening here. But do we do this in subtle ways, showing partiality and favoritism? We do. Think about how you handle your emails. Do you not show favoritism, partiality, and the speed of response? Or when you respond or how you respond? Do you not show it right in how maybe you text back to people or respond if somebody leaves a voicemail? Does your speed not say something about how you're judging a person's value and worth? Now, I'm not saying you can't make distinctions between urgent and important. That has a place. I get it. But we all know there's little subtle judgments. If there's a person who has added grace necessary to them, your probably speeds a little bit slower getting to the people you like a whole lot more. Am I right? We do this through emails, text messages. We even kind of can do this in our tone of voice when we talk to people, how we present ourselves. Or maybe for the people who we deem not as worthy of our time or as valuable in society, we're maybe a little bit more busy when we talk to those people. And for the people who we held or we hold in esteem value, maybe we're less busy when we talk to them. I know you do it because I do it. And it's not right. And we're being reminded of these things, that how we divvy out our time, our energy, the speed and response to these things says a lot about how we value people and how we think about them. And the Lord is bringing a conviction upon us. Be wary of this. I do it. I know I do. You do it. We are all people who have inherited Adam's sin. And when we think that when we spend or we have to deal with a person or a person presents themselves in our right environment, that if there's not a high ROI, right, like return on investment maybe with this person, they might get more silence, more busyness, or less of a thoughtful response from us. That is showing partiality, even in subtle ways. So know that, right? And let me tell you, even your silence says something about how you value people as being people made in the image of God. Think about that. The Lord knows our heart. Even if you're not saying, you're a chair-worthy person and you're not, there's ways that we make those judgments, all right? And so, Jeremiah reminds us, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can, in, who can understand it? It's true. Our heart is deceitful. James says and argues in verse 5, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom, 
which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name of the Lord in which you were called? God is saying, have I not made my love for the poor abundantly clear? Have you not seen how I conduct myself as I, the Lord incarnate, right? John says, made flesh as I walked. Have you not seen how I have lived and how I respond to people? Have you not seen the work of God in the Old Testament and how he handles people? Do you not know the character of your God that he loves those who are poor, who are downcast, who are weak, who are destitute? Who did Jesus choose? Blue-collar fishermen to be apostles, tax collector, people who are not necessarily the, the white-collar right people and the Roman government who are already working on their management skills and ruling. He chose the lowly and he elevated them and worked them. Did God choose in the Old Testament a mighty nation like Egypt to be his people? He did not. He sent plagues on them to discipline them harshly, Right? He chose a lowly people, Israel, a small nation, to be his people. Did he choose Eliab, strong, mighty man that looked like the rock? He did not. He chose David, the smallest, possibly the least attractive. I don't know. But clearly there was a distinction right there where he would be less favorable. The Lord chooses those who sometimes we marginalize, realize that, and also realize you're those people too. You are spiritually destitute apart from the grace of God. You are born into sin. You compound your sin. You multiply it. You multiply it when you have children because your sins, some of them pass down to your kids. I know that on Father's Day, right? I, I see that. My kids, they reflect and mirror back to me some of my sins. We are a people in need of grace, in need of a good God and a good Father who distributes love, compassion, kindness, mercy, and grace upon us. That is who God is. And he calls us to be people who treat others that way. That's how we love our neighbor well. These are some ways. The Apostle Paul says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore it is written, he says in Romans, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We are right to realize that if there's anything to boast in, it is God's kindness, his mercy to you and to me. Do we deserve it? We do not. Not one of us is deserving. Not one of us has fulfilled God's laws perfectly. Not one. And so it is wholly on God that we receive this mercy and this grace. But let me ask you a hard question. Has God's mercy not changed you? Has it? Are you a judgy Christian? Off-putting? Are you a merciful, kind, gentle Christian 
realizing you receive God's mercy and kindness and you distribute it with ease. Think about verses 8 through 13 have a little bit to say about we need to be reminded our pride ought to be crushed, but in our humility, in our weakness, we receive kindness and mercy. Good news. All right, verses 8 through 13, let's look at these. Small sins have big consequences. James says that even if you've done this subtly, you have to understand the consequences aren't small. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law to the courting scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. But mercy triumphs over judgment. That last part, so you know, is good news. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But did you catch it in verses 9 and 10? If you've shown partiality, favoritism, once, even in just your motives, not your words or your deeds, you are accountable for breaking and transgressing all of God's laws. You're accountable for all of it. You are a lawbreaker. That is not a small thing. So a small sin like this, partiality, has big consequences. If you've done it once, you're guilty. Understand that, right? You're accountable for all of it. You're accountable if you've sinned once for breaking all 613 Old Testament laws. That weight is true. That is what the Lord is saying here. Not good news. But good news, mercy triumphs judgment because we, we should receive God's holy judgment for our lack of perfection because we do not make up and meet the measure of his holy, perfect, righteous standard, which is no sin. You break one law, you've broken them all. You're guilty. That's what is being said here. And so this isn't just a little sin of partiality, but it has big consequences. Understand that. God doesn't treat this like a small thing. It wouldn't be in your timeless Bibles if God didn't care about it. So it's there, Right? So what do we have room for in our lives as Christians? If people where our faith ought to move into action, we ought to be a people who repent. We ought to be parents that say, we're sorry. Do we show favoritism to our children? We do at times. Let's be honest about that. We ought to repent and say that we are sorry. Do we treat others with partiality? We do. What should be readily upon our lips? saying that we're sorry. You want to know the one, one of the number one things when I ask my college students about when I meet with them, when we're talking about family stuff, I say, did your mom and dad, when you grew up, did they say that they're sorry to you very often? Most all of my kids say they either have never heard it or not often, or it was remorse, not repentance. It wasn't very meaningful. That breaks my heart when I hear that because we're messed up people. I'm, I'm not a perfect father, right? And we need to be a people who repent because we show favoritism, partiality in all sorts of ways, which is transactional love, just so you know, not unconditional, but transactional. 
and we do that, and we're guilty of this. We need regular heart checkups, and this passage in James is a regular heart checkup of how are you doing. Even if you're not going out and murdering and stealing, that's good. There are subtle sins that you are guilty of. We ought to be a, a, a people who repent often, who are thoughtful about some of the deeper things in our lives and how we think about others. When you have a transmission that breaks, when you have a timing built that breaks, or like in the summer, if your AC goes and you need a Freon recharge, your car is screaming, fix me. Deal with it, right? I know this because I live in Virginia. Well, what about, what about smaller things like oil changes? Your, your car probably just has a small, little tiny yellow light that pops on from time to time. I was like, change your oil. Right, small one. And it's good to do. But you realize that is not a small checkup. That's a significant checkup. You need to change that oil regularly for the longevity and for the health of that vehicle, right? And that is true, right? Every, every 5,000 miles. All right, let's remember that, all right? Depending on your vehicle, at least that. Maintenance. Well, this sermon passage is a checkup. You need to be reminded that we have to repent. We need to come back to the Lord. We need to spend time in prayer, in self-reflection, thinking about our self-management and our emotional intelligence. And we need to think about these things. We need to think about how holy God is and sometimes the lack of holiness in our lives about how we even show these little sins and exemplify them. We need to think about these things. And this passage is forcing us, think about the little things. Small little yellow light blinking. But it's a big deal. You don't deal with it, it's gonna cause problems down the road. Problems in the people of God, problems in your family, problems in your life. Let me tell you, it's not a small thing. It adds up. And we need to be people who check our heart regularly, even with these little things. Now, here's the good news. When we repent, what does the Lord do? He receives us. He shows his grace, his kindness. He says, I forgive you. I love you. You are my beloved children. Know that. And Jesus reminds you, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from your sin. Rest from your broken heart. Rest from all the weary labors that you have done. I will show you, even if your boss doesn't show you proper care, I, as a good godly father, will show you proper care. You are made in my image, and I love you equally. You are my sons, and you are my daughters. That is a good news. That is what we need to hear and be reminded, that we have grace, we have love, that God's mercy triumphs our judgment, and that even when you guys mess up, when I mess up, the Lord looks at us and says, I love you, my son, my daughter. You are mine with whom I am well pleased. He is delighted in you. Come to the Lord often, come quickly in your prayer and your scripture reading. Be reminded that even these subtle sins, they can have destructive ends they will slowly erode your heart's affections for God and for others if they go unchecked. Do not allow that. God is merciful and equitable and he finds you worthy and he finds you valuable. Go and treat other people with value, with integrity and honor and thoughtfulness and care. Love your neighbor as you love God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, we need you. 
thank you for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us, Lord, that we are a people, Lord, who even sometimes when we don't traffic in the, the big sins, Lord, even if it's something where we're not committing adultery or not murdering somebody or we're not ultimately lying or stealing in big ways, we are a guilty people who show favoritism all the time. Lord, forgive us. Lord, give us thoughtfulness, self-reflection. Lord, help us to be a people who love you and who love other people well with gentleness, with kindness, with respect, being reminded that every human being, Lord, is made in your image and has inherent value and is worthy of our honor and our deepest respects. That, Lord, we are a people who have something to learn from every human being who is stamped with your, Lord, image, that we would be a people who would treat them well. Lord, give us thought to our ways, Lord, so that we would be a people who reflect the same love that you show us, that we would reflect it to others. And so, Lord, that we would be a city on a hill, Lord, a beacon of light to all those, Lord, who would see, Lord, you as good and call you a good father. Lord, we love you. We need you. Lord, help us this day. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.